turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our, our se- series on stewardship. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 25 through 33. Jesus is speaking. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. And he says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or, your, or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, nor do they spend. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Lord, help us as we study. Three things I want to concentrate on. Two things you do not need to concentrate on, and one thing you do need to concentrate on. Two things you don't need to concentrate on are consuming and clothing. One thing you do need to concentrate on is craving the right thing, desiring the right thing. The passages that are prefaced to this kind of set the foundation for what Jesus started with in verse 25, which is, for this reason... The explanation that he gave to highlight why he said for this reason is found in verse 24. And, and he says this, you can't serve both God and material resources. Can't have two masters. Impossible. Can't serve both God and the old English is mammon. Either you will cling to one and hate the other or love one and despise the other. You cannot serve both. Man cannot have two masters. You'll be bifurcated in your attention, and you will be forced to serve one or the other. He says, therefore, because it's impossible to serve both, I'm going to give you a story. I'm going to give you a parable. I'm going to make this as simple as possible so you can understand the one you must serve. And this passage, though we've considered it to be extremely religious because it's found in the Bible and has such ecclesiastical power in that it seems to jump off the page with life and meaning. Remember, Jesus is using Mr. Rogers' theology here. He's trying to make it as simple as possible for these disciples. This is almost insulting to the intelligence. They're trying to figure out how in the world God provides. He says, let me show you a story. See the birds of the air? They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. But your heavenly Father cares for them in a wonderful way. Please, no. Are you not worth much more than they? Doesn't that sound like Mr. Rogers' story? (laughs) 
I mean, we've made it so profound. This is as simple. This is Christianity 101. He is trying to make it very plain using elementary principles in creation to try to drive home points. This, is, this evidence is how dense we are. We miss the obvious signs in creation about how God provides. He's trying to preach to us every day just through what we see. And we ignore it. We don't notice it. So Jesus, all he does is take the veil off our eyes and said, let's watch a sparrow for a minute. We're going to learn something through the sparrow. And then he goes out to the field of flowers. And he says, here, see this right here? All these petals, see the stem, see the leaves, see the beauty, see how it sways in the wind. He begins to teach some of the deepest theology through some of the most simple things that we miss every day. Now, because we have learned something from this, we understand what it means to look at a sparrow. We had some birds. We have a, have a, a back porch. And birds decided that our house was a good place to establish their home. Now, birds are cute, but they're filthy. Filthy. My wife doesn't like them very much. But I decided we're going to do this as a thing for the kids because we don't have any pets. We have people. So... <laughs> These are our pets for the year. And they come and they establish these nests on our, on our pillars, the tops of our pillars and on the, the, the supports for our deck. And it's beautiful. And we get to see the little baby birds and, and it's really, really cute. And we watch mama come in and feed them. And, and the beauty is we get to learn something about creation. I said, see, see kids, these animals don't have to worry about where their meal is coming from because the father is providing for them every day. This isn't just how creation works. It's God's particular design and provision for them. And these birds are not worried about where their next meal is coming from. They know they can get up every day and go find some seeds for their, for their, their sustenance or some worms for their babies. They ain't concerned about it. Jesus wants us to learn something. They aren't dying of heart attacks trying to figure out where their next check's coming from. They're not stressed out every day. This is why Jesus said, don't worry. Learn from this. Are you not worth much more than they? This is a beautiful principle, y'all. It's a covenant benefit that people who are part of the kingdom get this. But so many of us ignore this. And we act like we are Gentiles without covenant. People apart from the promises of God and out there trying to get all we can and keep all we get. We don't have a liberal hand. We have to redecide all the time whether we're going to tithe. We have to figure out, oh, I don't know if I should give because I got to pay my bills this week. We do not have a posture that is already, already made the decision, leaning toward always being generous with our resources we constantly have to re-decide and many times we decide in favor of what we believe is most important to our own provision rather than the provisions of the kingdom so jesus is saying i want you to know you can't serve both you can't serve both god and mammon so choose well now the beauty of this is is that if you choose well you get both Meaning if you choose well and you say, I'm going to serve God with all of my heart. I'm not going to serve material resources. 
He says this, you serve him, he'll get you the stuff. Now, if you choose to serve the stuff, you may or may not get it. But you definitely won't get him. Choose well. This is a good deal, covenantal people. People that are a part of God's promises and believe that he is the father who wants to provide, choose well. When you choose him, all this stuff becomes yours. He's got your back. He says, first, make sure you are not concentrating on being a consumer. Consumer, don't be worried about what you're going to eat or drink. Is not your life more important than food? Isn't life more valuable than food? Isn't, shouldn't your life be prioritized differently than just concentrating on your meals? Now, you, many of you are saying, well, Pastor, I'm not concentrating on lunch right now. I'm really listening to you. <laughs> I really am. My, my mind is, I got that. But, but let me contextualize it for you and help you. Last week, we talked about a widow over in Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 who only had a little bit of stuff, a little oil, a little flour, and there was a famine, and she said, this is all I got left, and I'm going to eat it and die, me and my son. And, 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 and we never find ourselves, at least we haven't in America, with just a little bit left. Most of us have enough for tomorrow and the next day. And, and, and we aren't in, a, in the midst of a famine, so the, the little bit is really not our issue. But let's extrapolate a little bit. She said, I got this little, and I'm going to eat it, and me and my son are going to die. Well... What's the difference other than time than having a little and a lot if you're going to die? Meaning, she had a little bit, and that was the last you're going to eat, and then pass. Well, you got a lot, and you're just going to keep on eating until you die. What's the difference except time? She was focused on the stuff, not on the God who could provide more stuff. And so when she was only focused on the stuff, that's all she thought she had. But when she gave to the kingdom first by providing for the prophet, more stuff opened up to her. This is our God. And so whether you're talking about a little or a lot, we cannot be those who concentrate on consuming, filling our bellies on a regular basis, making sure we've got enough in our bank account thinking about our own provision. Our mind should be focused more on the kingdom. And if we are not, he calls us people of little faith. Little faith. We need to be people who are of big faith that allow him to provide for us while we are seeking first what is most important to him. And this is one of the covenantal privileges, y'all. Latch on to this. I hope today that you feel freed from the tyranny of the material. That you no longer have to feel like you are tied to stuff, but you are tied to Almighty God, and He brings stuff to you. You're serving Him with all of your heart. You do not have to be dependent on where your next meal is coming from and making sure you're serving it so you can get it. You are dependent on Almighty God, and He is the one who provides for you. We shouldn't be concentrating on consuming stuff. And stuff just doesn't have to be filling our belly. Stuff can be anything that is temporal. Let me give you an example of what it means to, to seek first the kingdom. I get uh, people coming to me and telling me they're going to, going to get a new job. And the new job is requiring them to move. 
and they, they want me to pray for them. Now, they aren't asking for my opinion. They're not asking for my counsel. They're just reporting. And so I communicate to them on the level of their report. I say, God bless you. So happy for you. What would you like me to do? Pray for me. Okay, great. Lord, bless them. Open doors. Do something really great. Lord, we thank you for it. Amen. God bless them. Now, if they had asked my opinion, I'd give it. But I ain't going to barge in with somebody not opening the door. If they had said, Pastor, what do you think? Can you pray with me about this? I'd say, well, what is God saying? We, when we are focused on provision and consuming, we almost always interpret God's provision materially as his approval. Because that's all we're looking at. So when we think we're getting more money, we got to raise in order to get, 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 get more stuff, but it requires a move, we're thinking that that must be God for me. Because he's giving me more stuff, and that's what I've been praying for. I've been believing for more money. And the confirmation that provision is increasing is interpreted as God's approval on your life. But remember, simply because he provides does not mean he approves. Could mean he just loves you. Sometimes he's just having mercy on you. you. Hear me. There's a lot of stuff my kids do that I don't like. But I never deprive breakfast of them. I don't say you can't eat this week. I don't take all their clothes out of their closet. My love is not tied to my approval. I love them anyway. I provide for them anyway. Now, if they do stuff that really makes me happy, I give them something above what is is reflected in my, my ordinary love. But when we think about the stuff being the only affirmation that God really is approving of our life, we can get really confused. So when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, what do you think? I got this opportunity. I said, well, what is God saying? I don't know. I said, well, let's pray and fast. Ask God. Pray and fast for three days and then come back to me. And I'll pray with you. Now, I can't pray and fast with all y'all. I die. (laughs) So I pick and choose. I said, I'll pray you fast. That's the way that goes. (laughs) It's your job. You need to fast. But he comes back, and he said, I really, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is sending us. I said, well, do you know of a good church out there? And then I begin to ask questions spiritually so that we can prioritize well. Because if God is sending, he's also provided some things out there for them. And as we go through the process, it is confirmed that the Lord is sending. This is how I pray. Lord, I thank you that you are advancing the cause of God. Your, your cause in their life. You are moving the kingdom through their occupation. I pray you'd open doors for them for spiritually and ministry. That's how I pray. It's a difference between just going and being sent. Now, can both of them be blessed? Absolutely. But I use my authority differently with different circumstances because I understand what it means to seek the kingdom first. Now, you say, well, pastor, that seems to be kind of kind of a difficult way for you to pastorally deal with people. Hear me. I've lived this. A few years ago, well, 19, when I had just established, (laughs) time flies, I'm telling you. 
when I had just become senior pastor of this church, and you're going to be hearing more stories about how we came to be and how I came to establish what we have now and all that. When I became senior pastor of this church, I've been here all 30 years. I'm the only one who has been. Came here to help start it. I was only 21. The senior pastor left after nine or 10 years, said, can I take it? At that time, the church was sick. It wasn't doing very well at all. It had about mm, 75 to 90 members in it when I became senior pastor in May of 1991. And skillfully, I led the church by the, by the fall as we moved into a new facility. I led the church from 90 people to about 53. <laughs> it's no joke. It was so bad. We were so sick that everybody was looking at each, at each other every week thinking, you going to be here next week? <laughs> really, I mean, seriously, you going to be here next week? And they were looking at me. I wasn't a very good preacher. I didn't know how to communicate. I had not been trained to hold a pulpit simply to be a campus minister. I didn't know what I was doing, and I was struggling. And they were looking at me thinking, well, he's got a good heart, but he can't say nothing. He just he can't say nothing at all. It's just really, and they were, oh. And I was looking at them saying, well, I ain't a good pastor, but you ain't a good church either, so we fit. And we struggled through together. Struggled through. Well, during the time when we were struggling through and it didn't feel good at all, after two years, we still had 53 people. Different 53, but 53 folk. <laughs> I got a call from Colorado Springs from a very famous ministry. If I mentioned it, you know who it was. And they said, sir, we've heard about you. We'd like you to become the black face of this guy on the radio because he teaches on family and his stuff can't get to where it's needed most in the inner city. So we need somebody who has a, an emphasis on family that can really do that. We need an African-American. We'd like you to be him there. We will fund you. You will have a national ministry. You'll have book deals. You'll have all the money you need. I was thinking, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, you done shown up to me? Hallelujah. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, my God. And I was just in pain, pastor, in this church. That's all I was, pain every day, pain. Friends leaving, people not having confidence in you, and for good reason. I'm not blaming them. I don't know that I would have followed me. I had no choice. I was me. <laughs> I wasn't a good pastor. There were other places that were killing it. I mean, just knocking it out of the park, but not me. We didn't have any children's ministry that was worth anything. We didn't have a youth ministry. My kids didn't even like my church. <laughs> it was bad. I'm thinking, Lord... You have sent, this is my raven, this is provision, this is amazing. He said, the only thing is, you got to move to Colorado Springs. I said, how many black folk in Colorado Springs? <laughs> exactly what I said, how many black folk in Colorado Springs? I said, do you know where I live? Back then, this was Chocolate City. I said, I live in D.C., this is where this needs to, this is where we need to cut our teeth on this kind of ministry, right here. I can do it, here. No, you got to move to Colorado Springs. I said, no, 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 I'm good at juggling. I can make it happen here. I can pastor my church and do this. It'll be great. You want the synergy of somebody who understands how to make it work in people's lives, not just a head talking and a voice talking on a radio and a guy who knows how to put his pen to paper. No, you want somebody who's living it daily with a group of folk. That's what you want. You moved to Colorado Springs. So I went to God and I said, Lord, what you think? He said, stay. I said, really? <laughs> Can I like ask you again? Maybe I didn't hear right. He said, stay. Okay. 
during that time, I didn't know if we were going to get paid the next week. Didn't know if we could make any of our obligations ministerially as a church. Giving was down, everything was down. God says, stay. I said, I'm your boy. I seek first your kingdom, not opportunity. I've lived what I'm talking about. Now, the folk who, who leave, that don't pray and don't seek the Father's will, they, they, are, they are blessed when they go. The Lord does stuff because he cares. But what might they have had here? Or put yourself any place. What might they have had from the place that they left? Now hear me. I know pastors love to manipulate passages in order to keep people a part of their church. They're really good at that. I'm not one of those. All I want is God's will for your life. If we are not the people for you, please go find your people. Get plugged in someplace and serve and help that people become the people they need to be to reach their community. Don't just hang out and make Sunday morning your service to God. Shame on you. I love you. I'm glad you show up, but shame on you. If you've been here two years and you are not plugged in, what you waiting for? And if we're not your people, great. Go find your people and join them and do something great for God with them that you can never do on your own. I've lived this. I know what it means, and I'm not trying to manipulate the environment in order to get you to stay. I'm just trying to figure out how you can seek the kingdom first in every area of your life. I, I don't know what would have happened in Colorado Springs, but I do know this. I wouldn't have this. You wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have a vision to reach the city. There wouldn't be orphans in Africa cared for. Orphans in India cared for. Yorkshire Elementary wouldn't have volunteers from this church that go and serve on a regular basis. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have coats. They wouldn't have gloves for the wintertime. I know that. I know your kids probably would have been provided for someplace else, but not by Pastor Ken, who leads 10 of them a week to Jesus. Every week we have a moment to talk to our staff about testimonies. He pipes up every week and says, we led three more this week, six more this week. We baptized in 10 this week. Just keeps going like that. I don't know what would have happened in Colorado Springs, but I know what has happened here. And it didn't look good when God said stay. It looked like I was going down with the ship. And believe me, my wife was looking at me. She saw those dollar figures they were offering and the opportunity. She said, baby, you sure? <laughs> you sure this isn't God? I said, I'm positive. Let's stay. And we ate beans for a minute. But that's all right. I'd rather eat beans in the presence of God than steak outside. Isn't life more than provision? Isn't it more than consuming, filling your belly or filling your ego? Isn't it more than that? Isn't the body more than for clothing? Gosh, I mean, 
being clothed nice is okay. I, I, I don't want you to show up in burlap sacks. I really don't. I like that you look nice. And I try to represent the kingdom and you well. But my priorities are real clear about clothing. Even though I try to look fairly good, I do not care. I do this for you, not me. I do this for the kingdom. I, do, I hate shopping. I hate, and I keep clothes forever. They wear out. Collars wear out. Buttons break. I, I, got, I got suits I wear on Sunday morning from 13 years ago. Because I don't care. I don't care as long as it looks like I do not care. And I try to buy suits that will stay in style. See, I, I, and this isn't, this isn't a, a slam against fad. If you want to buy something that's, that's, you know, really now, fine. But I want to save my money because I got things I'm given to. I got priorities. And I can't be spending my money every six months on a brand new suit. I can't do that. So I buy one maybe every two, three, four years. And so I got, I got 12 to 15 in my closet. But the oldest of which is about 15 years old. Yeah. That's the way I live. This is just stuff. I prioritize my life so that I'm thinking kingdom first. And when I think about my body, I'm not just thinking about how good I look, though I don't know anybody that doesn't walk by a mirror and just glance. Say that now. Come on now. When you see a mirror, just kind of, oh. <laughs> you always want to check you looking right. I got that. And I'm not mad at you for doing it. But priority. That we need to be making sure, hear me. The Bible is called a mirror. How often are you glancing at that to see how you look? How's that looking at you? What you seeing coming back in the reflection of the word on your life? You ought to look at it every time. Most of y'all just do it once a week here in church. Just once a week. You, you die if you just looked at yourself in the mirror once a week, naturally. All y'all women, you know, by Friday, have mercy. Have mercy. And you men, oh, I just, I'm not dogging the women. Don't go there. I'm not doing that. And you men, you be all shaved crooked and have patches of beard all over the place. You got to look at yourself regularly. How do you look on the inside? How do you look? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body is for more than clothing. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to be making sure it's right regularly. Eating right. Quiet all the time there. <laughs> all the time. All the time. Eating right. Now, you know, I, I, I'm the worst at, 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 at this. Not because I don't eat right. I really do. I eat a lot of nuts, fruits, vegetables. I do. And I work out. I care for my body. But, but my weakness has been sweets. All my life, I love sweets. The only reason to, to order the, the entree and the appetizer is to get to the dessert. That is the only reason for me. For years, um, my, my mother, unfortunately, was a diabetic, and my daddy was a dentist. You feeling me? That's what I grew up in, saccharin every day. Saccharin, saccharin, saccharin. And so, I, desserts were my thing. But I, I saw people my age struggling in their health, and I'm 51, and 
and I, I heard on the radio folk died of heart attacks, and, and nobody thinks they're going to ever die of a heart attack until it happens. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I want to be around. So I, I need to shore up some stuff. Now, at that time, I, I worked out four times a week. I ate a lot of fruits and vegetables, but I loved my desserts. I said, okay, 2011, I didn't eat any sugar. Not one dessert. Went completely off all of it. And, 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 and it was only then that I understood what addiction meant to me. <laughs> I went through withdrawal. I'm telling you, it was terrible. I didn't know I was messed up on the inside. It was so bad. I did not eat white sugar, but I did eat stuff that was sweet, that did not contain processed sugar. So things were made out of honey. All the, all the nasty natural stuff that you don't like, that's what I ate. But in order to satisfy this craving, I didn't even wait to put the honey on a spoon to put it in my mouth. I just poured the jar. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's how bad off I was. My children would say, Dad! I said, baby, shut up. I'm busy. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. But I said to myself, every report I read says sugar is terrible. White sugar is terrible. It doesn't help you a bit, and it messes you up when you get it. I know that's bad news for you. It's bad news for me. So in 2011, I said, no more. The whole year, I didn't eat any. Unfortunately, I felt better. I did. <laughs> really sad to say. And I was healthier. But it was all because I wanted to see my great-grandchildren. I wanted to be what I could be to my wife and not have her have to be caring for a man in bed. I want to be 70 and still able to run an eight-minute mile. Right now, I can run a seven, ten-minute mile. Run four miles in about 32. I'm in shape. I want to stay that way. And so I said, okay, the body is more than just for clothing and food. And the last thing is Jesus contextualized all of that and said, when you think about the kingdom, think about how you crave food. That's how you need to seek the kingdom. Think about how you like to shop. That's how you need to seek the kingdom. Seek it first. He didn't say seek it only, so it doesn't mean that that's the only thing you need to do and neglect everything else. He said seek first the kingdom. So you still need to make sure you're an excellent employee and making as much money as you possibly can in your job. And you need to make sure that you dress well. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just what you seek first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You know what that means? Making sure you are doing what he wants done right with your stuff. Seeking his righteousness, how you need to rightly respond with your stuff, how he wants to program you, how he wants to direct you to use his stuff. It's not just your stuff, it's his stuff. Do that right and he says, I will make sure that everything you need is yours. This is our God. It's a blessing. It's a provision. Choose well. Can't serve both God and mammon. Can't. Choose well and you get both. Choose poorly. You'll definitely, definitely not get him and you might not get the other stuff. Let's pray.